That works. Is this? All right, let's go ahead and get started. So appreciate you guys being here this evening. Welcome back. I know we weren't really gone that long, but it's good to get back to, it does seem like forever. It's good to get back to kind of normal. Um, like I said, I was blessed to be able to be here last Wednesday with our guests. So that was a little bit more normal for me, I guess. But um, really, really cool. We just had a couple people, uh, some of our volunteers that night, and then actually one of our guests uh, from the refuge were uh, in the little Bible study that we did. So that was kind of cool to be able to get to know him a little bit. And so uh, it was really good. Uh, But tonight, I'd like to start with some announcements, and then we'll jump back into Revelation and see where the Lord will lead. So a couple of things real quick I want to make sure you're aware of is this Saturday we have men's prayer breakfast, 8 a.m. So obviously all guys are invited to that to come on out. Uh, if you have children or grandchildren uh, that you believe are able to come and sit through the, the devotion and whatnot, they're welcome to join us as well. Um, even if you need to step out with them, that's fine too. Um, also this Saturday at 10 o'clock is our Undeck the Halls. So we're going to be taking down all the Christmas decorations again for the year. So if you can help out with that, we greatly appreciate that. We always need... Uh, help at the beginning more than later. So if you can show up right around 10 and we can get it done real quick, it usually goes fairly quickly when we have uh, a lot of help and putting everything away is a lot easier than putting it up. So that'll be going on this Saturday. Um, Also want to let you know that nomination forms for our church officers are going to be due on the 14th. And so with those, those are at the Welcome Center. Um, Obviously, uh, if you're nominating someone, we ask that you be a member to make those nominations. But then also make sure you talk to those individuals that you desire to nominate. People have asked, well, what are we nominating for? So the big thing we need are going to be trustees, which are those that kind of help with the building and the grounds and all of that. Treasurer, which uh, again, does a lot of the bookkeeping and all of that. And then clerk, who handles our minutes from our meeting, as well as through the year, if we do new members that join, baptisms, baby dedications, we keep track of all that. And the clerk does that. Those are all one-year terms. So every year we need to vote those people in. Right now we have um, three trustees. Uh, We have a treasurer and we have a clerk. And if you like what those people are doing, you have to vote them back in. They don't just automatically keep doing that position. So um, Wesley Proctor, Dave Channel, and um, William Vaughn. I would have got there, Kelsey. Just give me a chance. Okay. Yeah. I was like, okay, those three individuals are our trustees. And again, if you think they're doing a great job and you're a member of the church, you can go talk to them, make sure they want to be nominated again, grab a form, fill that out. All the information you need is on the form. It's pretty self-explanatory. Deacon, uh, we have a one deacon that is coming off this month. His term is up. Uh, Those are three-year terms, but again, they can run consecutively. So uh, TJ Bornison, his term is coming to a close. And so if there's somebody else in the church that's a member of the church that you believe, uh, a man of the church that you believe would be a good fit for deacon, you can talk to them and nominate them. If you'd like to re-nominate TJ, who's coming off, you can talk to him and do that. Um, And again, those can run consecutively, but they need to be voted back in. It's not just automatic, okay? Um, Every year, I feel like people are like, oh, I don't need to vote because we have those people and they're doing a great job. And then they just never vote them back in. It's, well, they kind of need to be voted back in. So, So just note that's going on. So again, those are due on the 14th. 
And then we will have our annual church business meeting on January 28th. And that's when we'll actually vote on those officers and talk about other things with the last year, uh, just what the Lord's been doing, an amazing year. Um, I can't wait to this meeting to kind of talk through all the Lord's been doing. Uh, It's been great. So that's going on again January 28th. I also want to let you know, oh, any questions about that? About the officer nominations, forms, positions, any of that? All right. Family game night is coming up uh, January 13th, 4 to 7, so don't miss out on that. Um, There uh, will be an insert in the bulletin this Sunday as well, if you didn't get one last time. Um, So dinner is included in that. It's a totally free event. Um, You can bring your favorite uh, board game, card game, anything like that, and we'll have a table set up where you can put your family name on there and then have that for anyone to play. Um, Also, we will have a bounce house for the kids set up for them. And then obviously because this is a family event, there's no nursery or child care. Um, Invite anyone you want to this as well. This is for anyone, not just our church family, but anyone can come and be a part of this. Um, uh, So they're getting those. They're going to be taking, are getting their Nerf Nights kind of invites or postcards. Uh, So they're getting those. They're going to be taking those home with them. So that's coming up on the 24th of January, Nerf Night. Uh, They just need to bring a Nerf gun. Uh, They do not bring their own darts. We'll supply the darts and the little goggles, eyewear, and whatnot for that. So, um, And it's just a great night. So again, they can invite anyone to be a part of this. They can take these invites to school. Family can be invited, whatever. It's awesome to be a part of it. So that's going on on the 24th. And again, right here, normal service times on that. Uh, some of you might have noticed already we have our box set up for the Kids in Distress Services Hygiene Drive. Uh, so we're collecting for the entire month of January. And so we're going to do that through the 28th. You can drop items off in there. And again, there is information at the Welcome Center, but there's also uh, in the bulletin boards, there are also our little insert list of all the things that you can donate. Um, If you have any questions, you can see uh, myself, Kelsey Channel, um, or Wendy Powell is also doing the drive for us. Um, Also, we got communion coming up on the 14th. Baptism Sunday is coming up on the 21st, so don't miss out on that. Forever Young is having their uh, fellowship potluck on the 21st as well. And then also the uh, Impact Student Ministries uh, is having their snack night on the 14th. So lots of stuff going on. Want to make sure you're a part of it. Um, Also, this Sunday, something we're doing a little bit different. Um, uh, Someone approached me and asked if, hey, can we have the church open a little bit earlier on Sunday just to kind of have a space for people to come and just kind of read the word. Um, There's not going to be a devotion or a Bible study or anything like that. It's just a time to come and kind of hang out here in the lobby, spend some time in the word, uh, maybe share some thoughts with others that are doing this at the same time. Um, But there's not going to be like a like a formal devotion or nothing like that. Um, and so uh, this Sunday is the first Sunday of that. 8.45 is what we're saying. So if you'd like to come a little bit early and be a part of something like that, you can do that. Um, also, don't forget, we have the prayer room open up uh, every Sunday um, from before service right up until service starts. So if you'd like to go down there, it's the room we normally would meet in on Wednesday nights. Uh, you can go down there, spend some time in prayer. Um, I really do encourage that. Um, I know if you're like me, sometimes Sundays can be a little rough getting things around, but man, there's nothing better than spending even five minutes just kind of 
by yourself or with someone else maybe that you want to pray with in that room, just kind of saying, Lord, would you, would you direct my heart? Would you guide my heart? Would you open my mind? Um, I, I covet the prayers. If you would spend a few moments on a Sunday morning praying for the praise team, praying for the ushers, praying for me, praying for our junior church teachers, nursery workers, really anyone who's volunteering on Sunday, we covet your prayers. Um, we need those prayers to be able to be strengthened to do what God has called us to do. So we can't do all of this without you. So if you would take a few moments, uh, whether at home or when you come to church on Sunday, spend some moments in that room. We greatly encourage that. Um, We really do believe there's power in prayer. And so we don't just pray on Wednesday nights together as as a groups that we do that. Uh, We want it to be something that's part of our everyday life and as well as even before services, after services, and so on. All right. So those are kind of the big announcements of what's going on. Any questions about anything? Hopefully you guys had a great Christmas, a great New Year. Everyone got lots of sleep, right? Everyone's really rested, ready to go. Um, first day back to school for my boys, it was a little rough at 6.15 this morning. I'm not going to lie. There was uh, not tears, but close. I mean, I almost broke down a few times. It was crazy. So, but it was, it's great to get back to kind of normal, get back in the routine of things. So I'm excited for tonight. But let's pray. We'll open our service with prayer, and then we'll get our handouts handed out and all that stuff. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this evening. And Lord, we thank you for your grace that you extend to us so freely. Father, we're so thankful to gather again as the body of Christ. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would never take these moments for granted, that times that we can be together as the church to encourage each other, to be strengthened by one another, uh, to get into your word and to watch you do great things uh, in and through our lives as you grow us and mature us and strengthen us in you. And so, Father, as we continue this study through the book of Revelation, we pray that, again, as we're going to come kind of face-to-face with some, some hard things to hear, some things that don't sound very pleasant, they're not very comforting, but I pray that we would know as followers of Christ that, that all of this is in agreement with your will, with your plan, and your purpose. And we pray, Lord, that we would uh, read these things and, and look to these things, Lord, uh, knowing that you are a God that is holy and just, and sin will be held accountable. And there are consequences for the things that have gone on. And so uh, thank you, Lord, for being a God that is glorified not only through your grace and your mercy and your loving kindness, But thank you for being a God that's glorified through your holiness and your justice. And even, Lord, in these cases when your wrath is poured out. And again, that wrath is poured out rightly. Uh, It's deserved wrath. We all deserve it. Uh, Us in this room right now, Lord, we deserve it. And yet you extend to us mercy and forgiveness through the cross. It is not earned. Uh, It is not anything we've done. It is all what you've done. And so, Lord, I pray that as we study through these things and talk about these things, that, again, we would be encouraged and realize that, that you are keeping account, that you are aware of what's going on. I, I know in our world today it can feel like it's just chaos and, and just there's, there's no point to any of this. I pray that we would know that you are a God of order and you are a God that is working all these things for your good, for your glory. And so that we might be able to experience the blessings that you have for us. And so, Father, again, pray that this would also motivate us to share Christ with our community, our family, our friends, our area of influence. And again, that through this, we would be motivated to see there is a desperate need for for grace and forgiveness. And because your word says that those who are apart from Christ will either go through physical suffering in the experiences that we're going to talk about tonight, this side of heaven, or if we die in our sin, we will be separated from you forever sentenced to a place called hell. Uh, and Lord, I, I just, I know that that sounds harsh, but Lord, I'm so thankful that you are a God that is a God of, of boundaries and, and division. Because again, it shows that, that you are holy and you are just. 
And so I pray you give us wisdom in everything we're going to talk about tonight, Lord. May you be glorified in all of this. And again, bless all these events, activities, upcoming things going on. Be with our children's ministry tonight, all of our leaders and volunteers. Uh, student ministry, Lord, just uh, lead, guide, and direct in all those things. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to need a couple volunteers. Uh, hand out clipboards, handouts, and pens. So who wants to help me out with that? I got Josh, Keith, one more for pens. One more. What do you got here? Paperclip? Oh, it's a Christmas hook. Oh, thank you, Paige. All right, handouts. Who's got handouts? Oh, they both grabbed clipboards. That was clever. You sure, Lynn? Thank you so much. All right. We will be in Revelation chapter 8 to start. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, you can. I'm going to play with this like for the rest of the service. It's just a little Christmas hook, but she handed it to me. Anyone else need clipboard, pen, handouts? I love when the helpers are like, wait, no, I need one of yours and you need one of mine. And it's great. All right. So Revelation chapter 8. And we're picking up kind of where we stopped last time. And so we began talking about the specific judgments that are coming through the time of tribulation. And so we're going to kind of pick up in chapter 8. I'm going to put this little piece of metal down so I don't keep playing with it. Because I would. In your uh, handout there, uh, again, those first couple paragraphs are kind of some review from the last handout that you received. Uh, But we're going to kind of still talk through here just as a way of refreshing uh, our minds on what we've been dealing with. We're going to go from chapter 8 through chapter 11. So again, we're kind of summarizing a lot of things here. Uh, We're not going to give a whole lot of detail as far as reading through the text but we'll try to give you some highlights of what's happening here. And then we encourage you, I encourage you to go ahead and go through and read these things, obviously on your own. Um, And again, be patient. Um, Don't get too frustrated if it's confusing. Um, Again, it's a confusing way it's written for some of us. And and I know it bothers me sometimes the way it's written um, and understanding all of it, but there's a lot of figurative language here. So just be patient with yourself as you're reading through here. Um, And just kind of, again, keep reminding yourself of the point of the book of Revelation to exalt Christ and to encourage the believer, right? That's what we're looking to do here, to exalt Christ and to be encouraged as followers of Christ. And so, also again, I would remind you, um, the more familiar we are with the Old Testament, the more we'll understand the book of Revelation, right? Uh, There's so much of the Old Testament, not only in quotes and references, but also in the style of writing. Um, This reads a lot like some of our Old Testament prophets would would write. Um, And again, so if you're more familiar with the Old Testament, the book of Revelation will become even clearer. So in your notes there, it talks about that we are moving into chapters 8 through 11 in our study and see the unfolding of the coming judgment upon the world. In Revelation 6 through 19, there is mention of many different judgments, none of which are pleasant, but are believed there are, are there to draw men to Christ. So remember, everything that's happening here is the purpose of still redemption. There's still redemption available here to draw men to Christ, but also what's another reason for these judgments? Not just that people would come to Christ, but what are some other, maybe more than just one other reason for these judgments? What would be some other reasons for these judgments to be taking place during this time? Okay. 
Yeah, judging sin and wickedness of mankind. Absolutely, right? That's showing that God is holy and there is a consequence to our sin, okay? What else might be a reason for these judgments? People would come to Christ. They're wicked and they need to be judged and they're apart from Christ. Okay? To show that he's God, to, to affirm the divinity and the holiness of God, that he is God, he is authority, he is over all, right? And we give an account to him. What else might be another reason for these judgments? Yeah, absolutely. So the reality that judgment is coming encourages the believer to stay steadfast to know that God is paying attention. God is aware. What is one of the greatest frustrations of some of the Old Testament writers? That wickedness seemed to go unchecked. That unrighteous people were doing horrible things and God didn't seem to care or didn't seem to notice. Right? That's the whole drive of Habakkuk's complaint. I know, God, that you can't stand sin, so why are you letting sinners prosper? How many Psalms start off talking about the wicked are prospering and the righteous are suffering? In this idea of revelation, this tribulation, it's reversed. We talked about before all the gloping God living or are now being judged. And so, again, it's an encouragement to the believers, absolutely. Any other thoughts on why these judgments need to take place? Yes, Michelle. Okay. 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 Yeah. To bring an idea of safety and security to the believers that God is over this and working in all of this. Absolutely. Yes. Yep. So obviously this is affirming prophecy that was written. That's been talked about. Absolutely. Okay. Next in your notes there, it talks about there are three series of judgments in revelation, the seven seals, the seven trumpets and the seven bowl judgments. There are some who debate if these happen in succession or merely restate the previous judgments. So there's two ways to look at this. It's actually the same seven judgments, just restated a couple different ways. Or it's different judgments that go through the course of these seven, seven, and seven. Okay. Uh, most dispensationalists, which again, back up a little bit, what's a dispensationalist? That's somebody who believes that not just with end times, okay, but in the grand scheme of biblical history or, or how things are laid out from God to mankind, that God deals with mankind in different ways, in different stages, okay? Same God, same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, salvation is always by what? Faith and grace. No matter when you were, what it was, Adam and Eve were not saved or redeemed in the sense that they were in Genesis 3 because they kept the sacrificial system. They were saved only because God gave them grace and they responded with what? Faith, right? What was the evidence of them putting their faith in God or his, his grace? What, what was the evidence that we saw from Adam and Eve that showed they really believed and trusted in him for grace? What's an example of them demonstrating that faith? What did Adam and Eve do when God said, do this? What'd they do? Yeah, they obeyed, right? God said, here, do this sacrifice this way. And they did that sacrifice that way. Why are the Jews redeemed in the Old Testament? Not because they kept the law. They couldn't keep the law then. They can't keep it now. But because they put into practice what God called them to. We're going to the temple. We're going to give the sacrifice. We're going to do all these things. Why? We're trusting in the word of God. 
God said, if we do this, he will forgive us. So it's not the act of doing those things that forgives them or brings forgiveness. It's them trusting in the word of God, which is grace, that they were able to have forgiveness. Same thing here. So a dispensationalist is not somebody who says we're saved in different ways at different times, through works or through faith. That merely means God worked with Adam and Eve differently than he worked with Moses and differently than he did with the nation of Israel and differently than he does with the church. Okay, so that's what we mean. There are other views. We talked about this. Covenant theology would be another one that would kind of play into the whole scope of Scripture as well as end times. And then the other view of mostly end times would be preterism, which is most of this has already been fulfilled book until you get to the new heaven, the new earth, and so on. So when we say this idea of dispensationalists, we're saying most dispensationalists would believe these are not the same seven judgments restated. They're different judgments, and it's seven, seven, and seven. Also, we must notice the repetition here of the number three, representing the Trinity, and the number seven, which represents perfection. So the idea is clear that the Godhead will exercise perfect judgment upon the world. This is not just God the Father doing this, right? This is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all involved in this process. So let's dive into these next judgments. And so we talked about the first set of seven, those seven seals. We talked about the book being open and the seals being broken and so on. Again, that's just imagery to talk about that type of judgment. Um, I also put in your notes there, uh, reference there, Charles Ryrie's Basic Theology. Um, that's just a resource that I referenced for these kind of breakdowns. Um, if you're looking for a, uh, a very quality theology book that's written in layman's terms, meaning that I can read it so you can read it, because if I can read it, you can read it. Um, if you're looking for a good study that literally lays out all the major doctrines of the Bible, I mean, he talks about everything. It was actually our, one of our main textbooks in college that we would use in our theology classes. Um, I highly recommend it. Um, he is a dispensationalist, so he's going to come at it from that point of view. But I love that he actually gives you a breakdown of what other views believe as well. So he'll tell you, like, this view believes this, and this view believes this, and I believe this. And I always appreciate that because it kind of leaves it in your hands. He's not telling you this is the only way to believe. He's saying, here's the views. Here's what I hold to. Here's scripture. Now you decide between you and the Lord what you believe. And so it's a great resource. I highly recommend it. Uh, last time I checked, I think it was like 20 bucks, yeah, brand new, maybe something like that. So not a very expensive book, at least not the last time I saw it on like Amazon or whatever. So definitely check it out. All right, so let's move into this. So Revelation 8 and verse 7. So we're transitioning here from the seals to the trumpets, from the seals to the trumpets. And again, just figurative language here of these judgments. So Revelation 8 and verse 7 says here, uh, I'll give you a second to get there, Revelation 8, 7. And again, we're not going to read all these verses. That's why I gave them to you. I encourage you to look at them uh, on your own, of course. So it says here, The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of the trees was burned up, and all green grass was burned up. So that's the first trumpet, the first trump of this second stage of judgment. And so I'm just going to go through, and we'll look at each one and kind of give you a quick summary of what it looks like. So number one in your notes, this is the first trumpet. Uh, it talks about fire and hail will destroy vegetation. So vegetation will be destroyed on the earth. Uh, this is not saying all of the vegetation, but a large amount of it. So, and the mixed with blood, like what is that? 
Again, remember, John is seeing these in a vision. And he's, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing what he's seeing in a way that we can understand it. Okay? So this is, again, figurative here. So what this exactly looks like, you can read a lot of different people. They'll tell you a lot of different ideas about it. The point is, it's something overwhelmingly divine. What comes to our minds when we think about fire and brimstone raining down from heaven? What's one of the other examples we think of? Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed. Again, do you see the connection again to the Old Testament? So again, we can see that, what that looked like exactly. We don't really know. Uh, You've seen pictures of it, maybe videos of it, what people think it might look like. The point is, this is a powerful time of destruction, okay? Number two, uh, second uh, second trumpet, uh, Revelation 8, 8, and 9. A figure of speech is used here. And the figure of speech is, he says, as it were a great mountain burning. And so that's a figure of speech here. He says, as it were. It's something like this. Let's look at it. Verses 8 and 9. And the second angel sounded. And as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. And the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. So you see here again how it's just this overwhelming imagery of destruction, right? And death and all of this. And again, I know we read this and we go, man, that sounds so ungodly. This doesn't sound like the Jesus of the Gospels, the hippie, flowery, effeminate Jesus that we've created. Because that's not who Jesus is. That's why it sounds so foreign at times, right? That's why our culture says, oh, this is, we're misunderstanding this if we think it's all this judgment and fire stuff. Remember, we got to go all the way back to Revelation 1. How's Jesus described? Fire in his eyes, right? A man of judgment, right? Power and authority. So don't think docile lamb Jesus. Think king of kings, lord of lords Jesus. And so again, all these things are rightly deserved. Um, This might be something that we have not yet seen. So John describes it as best he can. This idea of a great mountain burning and then thrown into the sea. So we think a mountain burning, we think like a volcano erupting or something like that. But then this idea of it being thrown into the sea, I don't know what that exactly means. Okay, again, I I can imagine things. I can think about earthquakes causing mountains to go into the water and causing this great eruption. But we don't know exactly. John's saying this is kind of what it looked like to me. Okay, the point of this is what happens as a result. A third of the sea will become blood. A third of the sea creatures, what will happen to them? They'll die or be killed. And a third of the ships will be destroyed. So I think it's Ryrie that says it this way. A third of the world's shipping will be destroyed. So in Ryrie's approach to this, he was thinking if a third of the ships are destroyed, that's dealing more with commerce or trade. Which again, in John's day, shipping was the primary way that they would transport port to port. That's why a lot of these port cities were very wealthy. Because that was a main means of commerce. So Ryrie was suggesting this could mean a removal of shipping processing commerce is being affected by all of this, which again, we've seen how things in our world can affect commerce, right? Whether it be um, earthquakes, tornadoes, tsunamis, uh, COVID stuff, whatever it is, there's all kinds of things that can affect commerce, which again, as commerce is being affected, what else is being affected? What's happening to us, the people that are living, they're now suffering, right? 
I mean, you guys saw, again, with just a few months or a year of that being affected, how much it affected people's jobs, livelihoods, right? All of that, supplies that we need for things. How about medical supplies? All of these things can be affected. So when we read this, don't just think, okay, some ships were destroyed. Think about, well, what's that going to do to the rest of the economy, in a sense? goes on to say this, number three. Uh, the, tr- the third trumpet, Revelation 8, 10, and 11, uh, speaks to a contaminated fresh water supply. The fourth trumpet, we see here it affects the sun, moon, and the stars. And seemingly there is a change in the day-night cycle. So the actual day-night cycle seems to be affected by this. So between the fourth and fifth judgment, you've got a little, I believe you have a note there. Uh, Trumpets five through seven are called woe judgments, possibly because they are harsher than the rest. So you guys remember even in Jesus's uh, speaking to them, right? Talking about different things in the gospel, he says, woe to you Pharisees. What is that idea of woe supposed to kind of bring to mind? When Jesus says, woe to you who do this, what what is Jesus trying to get us to, to feel or think about? Hmm? Be aware, absolutely. What else comes to mind when you think about this idea? Doom, yeah. Watch out. I always think sorrow. Like sorrow comes to mind, like woe to you. Like there's just, we're going to pity you. There's a pity for what you're going to go through. And again, that's why these are called woe judgments because they seemingly are more harsh in their um, effect on humanity or on the creation. So number five, Uh, The first woe judgment or fifth trumpet, however you want to look at that. And this, again, you can see why people get confused on this. I thought it was a trumpet judgment. Now it's called this. But again, it's the same thing, just a different way of saying it. Uh, Revelation 9, 1 through 12. This is the judgment of locust. Judgment of locust from the pit. Number six. I know I'm going kind of quick, so if you miss something, just holler at me. Number six, this is the second woe judgment. Verses 13 through 21 of chapter 9. Another one-third of the earth's population will die. So again, a a third of the population. Most recently, (laughs) that was great. Okay. I wondered if anyone was going to say anything. It's Keith. They let him get away with it, and then she... She came through for me. Okay. Um, wow, what was that? Oh, so most recently, well, we can think about this in, in a global scale, right? We, now we have technology that allows us to hear about all these things happening all over the world. We hear about nations that go through different sicknesses or diseases and a large percent of their population dies or something like that. And we can see instantly how that affects their economy, their nation, but also the global economy. And so again, this, these are affecting the world, right? These are not just localized individual things that are going on. This is a global judgment. Um, Here also, we read about an army that is depicted of 200 million. And it says they will kill with fire, smoke, and brimstone. So in Revelation 9, uh, 13 through 21, um, it talks about this. And so if you go down to... Uh, Let me see here. Let me find it real quick. Okay, verse 16. So Revelation 9 and verse 16. 
So it was, and the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000, and I heard the number of them. And talks about this idea of the size of this army. Now, maybe this isn't an exact number. Maybe this isn't John giving us a specific number. Maybe he's being figurative. It's basically saying, like, it's a large mass of people. It's like thousands of thousands of thousands. And we read this also around the throne, right? There were thousands upon thousands of thousands of thousands of angels. We know that's not an exact number, right? There's no number of the angels listed. But some have also suggested this is actually a specific number of an army. Uh, 200 million um, individuals, or some have even suggested demonic uh, presence in these uh, soldiers. And so again, this is a massive army. Um, I don't think this is in your notes there. I think I've got the army part there, but I'm not sure. 7 and 8 depicts this invasion. So Isaiah 8, 7 and 8 uh, depicts this invasion as the work of the king of Assyria. The future leader of the invasion is referred to in uh, Ezekiel 38. So we've got Isaiah 8, 7 and 8, and Ezekiel 38. And this is using the kind of famous phrase Gog and Magog, or Gog of the land of Magog. And so this is that idea of this this force that's coming in. Um, Again, Old Testament prophets and John are referring to or may refer to human leaders to get us to think about what this looks like. They may refer to other human invaders as well, but it may not specifically be that person. Like Isaiah's case, if he's prophesying about a future event, he's referring to something that people would know. And if if Assyria has a massive army, he could be saying, it's like this. That's what's coming in here. Um, Something interesting as I was studying through uh, this section, and I never thought about this before, um, and maybe you haven't either. In John's era, John the Apostle, again, think about this in 95 AD, uh, it would have been unthinkable to imagine an army so enormous. So for John to imagine a human army with 200 million people in it would be unfathomable. He would have never imagined an army that big. According to some historians, the entire world population was less than 200 million in AD 95. So again, the whole population was less than what he's saying is going to be potentially in this army. Now again, maybe that's just him giving us a number to say, it's like, now I don't think he would know the population of the world, but he could be saying, it's like if the whole world came together and fought against God, it would be like, or fought against us, this is what it would be like. Um, Others again have said, this is actually a number of a specific army. Uh, In the modern era, of course, in our day and age, there are nations such as India and China with total populations five times that size. As a result, many equate this army to, of 200 million horsemen with an army from the Orient, described in Revelation 16. However, some believe this to be a demonic army. Again, we, we don't know. Bless you. We don't know exactly. Again, there's different opinions on this. Um, if it is a demonic army, how could that possibly be okay with God? How could God ever be okay with using a demonic army or allowing this army to do these things? Okay, he's letting the people have their way, which brings this result. Okay, Avi? Yeah, that's really good. Right? So he's sovereignly allowing whatever is happening. 
Right, right. You know, uh, and so he's obviously allowing it to accomplish his purpose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. I love that, that he's even using something that's opposed to him to accomplish what his will is. Because ultimately, who's over these demonic forces? God is over them, right? Remember, Satan and God are not equals, right? Satan and all of these demons are created beings under the authority of God. What did Satan have to do to even tempt Job? He had to go to God and ask permission, right? So again, we have to remind ourselves of the hierarchy here. God is always in sovereign control. He's working all of this. These demonic forces, Satan may be believing they're working against him and doing things or whatever, but God is never um, outside of control. He's always in control. He's always aware of what's going on, and he's working all things towards his will. So again, this army is an impressive size. It's massive. And it's coming in a form of judgment. And again, you can think about this army, what they could accomplish. The death that they could rack up, you know, as far as that goes. The destruction they could accomplish. And so again, we see that being described here. Uh, It is also, uh, and if you're reading through the text, you'll see this. Uh, It is between the sixth and seventh trumpet that the two witnesses that are referred to in Revelation uh, 7. Or I'm sorry, Revelation 11. um, The two witnesses will be killed. Uh, This is in chapter 11, uh, 1 through 14. Uh, In these verses, we see the designation of 42 months and 1,260 days, which is roughly three and a half years. And this is why most believe that they will be killed at or after the middle point of the tribulation period. Most dispensationalists believe the tribulation period will be about seven years. About halfway through that or just past that, these two witnesses will be killed. Um, Again, something of note to mark where humanity is, and this shouldn't really surprise us. Remember, these two witnesses are preaching Christ. That's what they're preaching. They're preaching Jesus, repentance. The kingdom is at hand. The same message John the Baptist preached, Jesus preached, we preach, right? It's the same thing. How popular is that message today in our world? Not very, right? So now imagine it's gotten to this degree where all these judgments are coming. Most people believe that most of humanity, that if they're not in Christ, they're blaming God for all of the stuff they're seeing. So they're not coming to Christ. They're cursing God. And then these two witnesses show up that have miraculous abilities. And they're performing miraculous works and they're preaching the gospel. People are getting saved. How do you think the world, not only today, but in this time period is responding? They're not happy with them. So these two witnesses are killed. And actually we see the people rejoicing. And this is in your notes. We see the people rejoicing at the death of the witnesses in Revelation 11, 10, or 8 through 10. So the people are actually rejoicing when these witnesses are killed. Then they are resurrected in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 11. And then we see a great earthquake and 7,000 people die in this earthquake. And so again, we see lots of things happening here in chapter 11. Now, I put a note here for me to remind you. Uh, we skipped over chapter 10. So we've covered 8, 9. I've moved into 11. We skipped chapter 10. Uh, this is a really cool little chapter kind of tucked in here. Um, and I don't want to really just kind of kind of summarize it and brush by it. So next week, my plan is to spend our time together just in chapter 10, talking about what's going on here, um, where we actually see John is told to consume the book, to actually eat the book. Sounds so weird when we hear it, but 
it's amazing what's happening here. And I believe it can encourage us in our own Christian walk today, what God calls us to do with his word. So again, we'll come back to that next week. Uh, Number seven in your notes, we see the third woe or the seventh trumpet judgment. This is in Revelation 11, 15 through 19. The announcement of the final judgments. These bowls or vials of judgment are seen as God's wrath. Wrath. Revelation 16, 1 through 21. These will be very strong judgments. Also, many believe this is when the Antichrist will demand worship from man, from men. So basically, this is when the Antichrist will start assuming not only political leadership, but religious leadership, saying, no, I am to be worshipped. And this is, again, that translation or transition from the kind of sort of harsh judgments in the beginning. They're getting a little more harsh and severe. And now we're moving into the worst judgments. And that's why many people call the second uh, three-year period in the tribulation, seven years, the great tribulation. It's going to be even worse. Um, also, some believe that this is when more Christians will be martyred for their faith and killed for their faith, even more so than already. Um, so in conclusion, as we kind of wrap up this part of Revelation, uh, we cannot help but look at the amazing declaration of chapter 11, verse 15. So look at it with me. So we've talked about a lot of judgment and all this stuff, but I want to spend our last couple of minutes on this passage. So Revelation 11 and verse 15. So this is when it talks about that seventh trumpet being sounded, moving into the next judgments. But look what it says in verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their thrones fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and has reigned. And the nations were angry, and and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. I want to focus back. Go back to verse 15. It says here, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices of them, saying what? The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now, we talked about that here back with the kingdom of David, the line of David, that Jesus was born king, authoritative king. His reign will be forever. The throne of David will never cease to rule and reign. We start seeing the fulfillment of this. Now, we know it's partially fulfilled in the sense that when we are saved, we're part of the kingdom of God and we're part of his kingdom. We're citizens of his kingdom. We're not citizens of this world, right? We're just sojourners. And I love that term because it means we're just passing through, right? This is not our home. But now we start to see this transition transition from the spiritual kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven beginning to be visible and understood on earth. And now the kingdom is being understood. And I had to jot this down in the conclusion here. This is a fulfillment of Philippians 2, 10 through 11, as all of humanity will bow at the name of Christ, right? All the kingdoms of the world are beginning to understand either from their own admission or God's making it known to them that you are Christ's, like this is all of his. Also, remember when Satan tempted Christ in the wilderness in Matthew 4 and offered him what? All the kingdoms of the world, if he would just but worship 
him. If, if he would fall down and worship Satan, Satan says, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. You have all the glory and all the popularity and all the authority. And I absolutely love that Christ resisted and rejected that temptation because as the plan of God was fulfilled, all the kingdoms of the world were his to be claimed anyway. And it made me realize that Satan will do the same thing to us. Satan will tempt us in a similar way. He will tempt us with something that God might give us or give to us in his time according to his will, but we want it now. We want it right now in the present. So we deny God's wisdom and grab that desire. We are unable, however, to enjoy the fullness of that thing because we acquired it outside of God's design. And I, I, I love this in this text. When I was reading through, it just blew me away. I never connected those two things before. That Satan tries to tempt Jesus with something. What's a giant thing that happened to Jesus between being tempted in Matthew 4 and the fulfillment of this as we're seeing it in Revelation 11? He had to go to the cross. And see, I think that was Satan's plan. If I can get him to bow down and worship me now and make himself impure, he can't go to the cross as the perfect lamb and I win. But Jesus said, no, 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 I'm not going to give in to that temptation because I know what my father has for me is so much greater and yeah, I have to go through the cross, but I'm joyfully going through the cross because it's what's needful to glorify God and save humanity. And he endured that and despised the shame for the joy that was before him. And now his name is edified and glorified and lifted up. And now all the kingdoms are his anyway. I absolutely love that. And so as an encouragement to you in your Christian walk, when Satan tries to tempt you with something, when your flesh tries to tempt you with something, and it may be something good that God would have for you in time, it might be something that's actually beneficial to you in time. Don't believe the lie of Satan that his timing is better than God's timing. Be patient. Endure the season because when God gives that thing to you, man, now it's so much sweeter. It means so much more. And so however you can apply that to your life, that's what I was just, I was blessed with this week as I was studying that. Avi. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Yes, yes. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I always call that the great value blessing. Right? You know, like the great value brand from Walmart, you know? Like, it's not the real craft. It's the great value mac and cheese. Like, it's okay, but it's not nearly as good, right? That's what we get when we do that. Absolutely. Because, and you bring up a great point with Abraham. He, because of his lack of trust in God, he went with what made the most sense to him and even to Sarah, right? But what came of that? Man, the, the turmoil and the, what, what Hagar had to go through because of all that. And just the just the division that still goes on today. The descendants of Ishmael, the descendants of Isaac, that's still what's battling in the Middle East today, the descendants of the Arabs and the Jews. And so again, you see that when we take things, and again, not that God didn't know it was going to happen. He knew fully what was going to happen. When he promised it to Abraham, he knew Abraham was going to do what he was going to do. But we choose out of our own doing and we miss out on what God would have for us if we would have just been obedient, right? And so absolutely, yeah, another great example of that. Any other thoughts or comments before we dismiss for prayer? Yes.
Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, just, and I, I love when there's music that's being made, and this sounds funny, but by Christian artists that align with biblical truth, right? Because there's so much there. And I think sometimes Christian artists try to reinvent the wheel and come up with something new and, and get things horribly wrong uh, theologically. But yet when they just stick to scripture, there's so much beauty there, right? And wonder there. So absolutely. All right. Well, if there's nothing else, we'll go ahead and pray and let you guys be dismissed to prayer. So again, uh, ladies will head down to the nursing room down there, the cry room, uh, spend some time in prayer down there. Guys will head down the hallway to the prayer or to the library. Um, and, uh, if the prayer room's open, we'll use that room. But if it's not, we'll go to the library, uh, prayer guides. Uh, we will have those next week for you. Um, and so if you submitted a prayer concern recently, um, and you'd like to update that, uh, either A, do that in our group time together, and we'll try to make sure we communicate that back to Kelsey so she can put that in the prayer guide, or uh, just let her know directly before you leave tonight if there's a prayer concern that you've... Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for just tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for the truth that one day we know you as King. We know you as Lord of Lords, and we know that we serve under your mighty hand, and we submit to your authority, which is proper and right, and just the right response to the grace and mercy you've extended to us. And so by faith, we trust in you, and we follow you, and we desire to be obedient. Lord, we know that none of us, myself included, are obedient perfectly, but we strive to be obedient. We strive to keep our eyes on you and to fulfill, or to follow, rather, what you have for us, that it might be fulfilled in us, the the blessing and the goodness that you have for us. And Father, forgive us where we've gotten our eyes off of you and we've believed the lie of either the enemy or our own flesh that whatever it is that's being put before us and it may be a good thing and it might be something that's a blessing it might be something that's even beneficial to us but it's not in your time and so lord i I know that sometimes that can be tricky to discern so i guess first lord we pray for your discernment we pray for your wisdom Uh, you say in your word if anyone lacks wisdom ask of you and you give it so we ask of that wisdom but as you're giving us that wisdom lord we know that there are many times where we're being led in a certain direction, and we know that the outcome of that is not a glorifying thing for you and to you and our blessing to us. And so we pray you'd give us wisdom in in our guarding of our heart and mind, that we would keep our eyes on you, Lord, and desire the things that you have for us in your time. So, Father, thank you for this great example of Christ standing against temptation. We know that he is and, and was God in the flesh, but, Lord, I believe we can learn from this example that he quoted Scripture He trusted in the Father. He submitted to the Father's will. So I pray that we, when we're tempted, that we would quote Scripture, put our mind and our heart on the things of God, submit to the will that you have for us, and again, find victory from the enemy and from our flesh that you have overcome. Father, be with us as we go into this time of prayer. And again, may you be glorified in all of this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, you guys are dismissed to prayer. Again, if you don't want to join us in prayer, you're welcome to kind of hang out in the lobby out here. And we'll be finished up about 8.15.